hope most of you guys are doing well, and welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different and pointless set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part or artist that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com or on Instagram, arockandrollrabbithole.podcast. And if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe, rate and review the podcast. You can also visit arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlist of all the songs used in each episode, links to all the past episodes and some other golden magic. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, arockandrollrabbithole.podcast. I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to listen and here goes. Before we head down this dark rabbit hole, I want to thank everyone for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and anyone who rated the podcast on the Purple Apple Podcast app this week. I genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. A quick thanks to Chris Dash, Sean Dennis for sending me the new Elephant Gun vinyl, which is awesome. Thanks, mate. And the ever-sharing Scott Hughes in Minnesota or Minneapolis or Mississippi or whatever that M word is. Thanks, mate. And Turtle Howard and Ross Hetherington for some great topic suggestions this week. Thanks, mates. I've also had a few people ask where they can find the Spotify links of the songs used in each episode, and you can find them on the Past Glories tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. That's enough fluff and apologies to Rick Allen's arm in advance, and here we go. Episode 13, Dead by 40. Unlucky 13 had to be a dark one, and here it is. So dark, it's spread out over two episodes. I always get super bummed when I hear of a great musician passing away, such as our recently departed Prince, Tom Petty, Glenn Fry, Bowie, Bill Withers, Eddie Van Halen, Little Richard, so many in the past few years. The names I have just mentioned all made it through their prime years as recording artists and left us with so much great art. In this episode, I'm going to list my favourite artists who sadly did not make it past 40, so we will never really know what they may have produced had they lived to an older age. For example, Bob Dylan has a great new record out called Rough and Rowdy Ways, released at age 79, 
Tom Petty's Wildflowers was released when he was 44. Paul McCartney's Chaos and Creation was released when he was 63. Stones had a really good record called Bigger Bang and Mick and Keith were around about 63 when they released that too. Even if all the artists that I do mention in episode 13 live for another, say, 10 years, we may have, it would be safe to say, have got some more classic music from them. I'm going to list them in four segments. One, suicide and murder. Two, accidents and disease. Three, drugs and booze. Four, the 27 Club. Segment one, suicide and murder. This shit has actually gotten me a little bit down and is pretty heavy, as the death rabbit hole is a dark and deep one. So I'm going to start with the most brutal ones for me, the murders, along with the suicides. I'm going to start with the most obvious choice for a murder and the eldest subject matter at the age of 40. We dove deep on it in episode 8 and 9, Game Changing Name Changes, and it's John Lennon, who was shot outside his house in New York City after signing a copy of Double Fantasy. I visited New York City a few years back and walked past the Dakota building and it was so normal and really rang home that he was just a human being and at the scene it must have been terrible on the night. It must have been so horrific for Yoko to witness that in front of her eyes. Good morning everyone, I'm Tom Brokaw, this is today, December 9th, I'm here with Jane Pauley and this entire half hour will be devoted to the murder of John Lennon, ex-Beatle, one of the best known musicians and most influential people of his time. As you heard Dr. Stephen Lynn at Roosevelt Hospital in New York City say, Lennon was shot and killed at about 11 o'clock last night outside his apartment building. News of the Lennon shooting, of course, spread quickly around the world. NBC News correspondent Stephen Fraser tells what happened last night on Manhattan's west side. Witnesses told police Lennon was shot near the door to his apartment building as he and Yoko Ono returned from a recording studio. I saw John and Yoko get out of the, get out of the limousine. They walked into the gate and, oh God, let me just, let me just take a time. And then I heard four, four or five shots. They were ear shattered. They were ear shattered. I heard Yoko and I heard a woman screaming. It was Yoko. She was screaming, help me. Lennon's building is home for many celebrities. Strangers waiting for a glimpse of some resident are not uncommon. The man accused of shooting Lennon dropped his gun afterward and waited for police to arrive. A detective who questioned him at a nearby police station said he is Mark Chapman, a 25-year-old Hawaiian who has been in New York one week. Here's Stevie Wonder announcing Lennon's death at a concert the night the murder took place. I would like to say something. I'd like your attention, please. This is very important, and I want you all to understand that I am not a person who likes to be the of any bad news, but I think that I would like to, for those of you that don't know this, because I couldn't, it's been, it's been really hard for me to do this show tonight. But I did it in memory of people like this man, like Dr. Martin Luther King, and like someone that recently was shot.
We shot tonight three times. And I will tell you who, and I know that maybe you won't be able to sing this song with me, but the song is about people like him that have lived and died for the principle of unity for all people. And I'm talking about Mr. John Lennon. So I'm very sorry to have to tell you that. But when I found it out, it's still very hard for me to do this show, even now. But I know that you would want me to continue to express those same feelings as he has in his life. Just a side rabbit hole, John Lennon's killer, Mark Chapman, had John Lennon sign a copy of Double Fantasy about five hours before he returned to the Dakota and killed him. The copy of that record sold for over $400,000 in 1999, and the album was actually used in the court case against Chapman. Here's my favourite song from Double Fantasy, Just Like Starting Over. Our life together is so precious together we have grown we have grown although our love is still special let's take a chance and fly away somewhere it's been too long since we took the time No one's to blame, I know time flies so quickly This next one was simply brutal and I remember it well. I think this one stuck with me because he was just doing what musicians do and he was shot on stage while doing a gig. Dimebag Darrell, best known as the Pantera guitarist, was murdered on stage while doing a gig with his band Damage Plan by a deranged fan. The shooter, Nathan Gale's friend, said in the days before the shooting he was claiming that Pantera stole his lyrics and were attempting to steal his identity. Here's Walk by Pantera. Walk 
There's a lot of weirdness around this next death. I definitely recommend YouTubing and rabbit holing the story, but he was shot by a hotel worker, Bertha Franklin. The artist bashed on her door shouting, where's the girl, wearing only one shoe and a sports jacket, and then they grappled and she went for a gun and shot him in the chest, and he apparently said, lady, you shot me. He was 33. Sam Cooke, what a wonderful world. Don't know much about history Don't know much biology Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the French I took But I do know that I love you And I know that if you love me too What a wonderful world this would be Don't know much about geography Another death with some slight mystery. This goal is also covered in episode 8 and 9, Name Changing Game Changes. Elliot Smith struggled with drug, alcohol and depression, and he died from two stab wounds to the chest, and the autopsy was inconclusive to whether it was suicide or murder. His partner at the time claimed that he had stabbed himself. He did leave a suicide note on a post-it note saying, I'm so sorry, love Elliot, God forgive me. He spelled Elliot incorrectly, just with a single T. This next guy is probably in the top five Aussie frontmen of all time, and he passed away at age 37. Good evening, Angela Pearman with ABC News. The international music industry is in shock with the death of rock star Michael Hutchins. The body of the in excess lead singer was discovered in a Sydney hotel room late this morning. Police won't confirm the cause of death, but they've taken a leather belt into possession for scientific examination. The Double Bay Ritz-Carlton, the Sydney Hotel to the Stars, where today Michael Hutchins' body was found. Although security at the hotel was kept tight, the world media had been tipped off early. Then came the official confirmation. Uh, the body of an Australian citizen uh, who has been a resident in England for some time was discovered in the hotel on the fifth floor. The body was found just before noon by a member of the hotel staff. They wouldn't rule the out suicide. Detectives have taken into possession a leather belt uh, for scientific examination. His death was ruled suicide by hanging. And here's in excess bandmate Kurt Pengilly talking about the death. In, in the old ABC studios in Sydney and um, uh, I'd actually, Michael was staying in Double Bay uh, at the Ritz there and I lived in Putts Point so a lot of the mornings I was picking Michael up and driving him to the rehearsals and that way we knew he wouldn't be late. Um, anyway, this one particular day, day I weirdly enough had stayed at a friend's house on the other side of the bridge so I didn't pick Michael up that day um, and went to rehearsal and we're all there and there's kind of something going on and our tour manager and, and our security guy were there and they said, uh, guys, we're just gonna go down to Double Bay Police Station. Something happened in Michael's room last night. We don't know what it was. Um, and we're all sort of going, oh yeah, he's probably, you know, got busted with some drugs or something, you know. Um, and we sort of let it go. And anyway, Tim Farris in, in the band, the eldest of the three brothers, he had brought a little portable TV in to watch the cricket, which in those days was on the ABC. And so we're sitting in this rehearsal studio waiting for Michael to get there and the guys to get back from the cop station. And 
um, and watching Tim and I watching the cricket and a news flash came over the TV saying Michael Hutchins was found dead in his hotel room this morning. So that was how we found out, like from a news flash on a TV, on the channel, in the place that the channel's broadcast from. Original Sin by In Excess. alive Mike Patton from Faith No More talking about In Excess. Actually, well, we might as well ask this question as well because one of your fans here, Danny, actually wanted me to pose this question to you because we're doing a special on you this week and he knew that I was interviewing you and he wanted me to ask you, which is news to me, and once again, it could be complete fabrication, but this In Excess offer for you to fill the boots of Michael Hutchins, what can you say about this? This is Dan, <laughs> that Danny wants to know. What can you say? Uh, well, uh, yeah, they asked me to sing, and, 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 I, and I had a very hearty belly laugh um, uh, at their offer. <laughs> no, I hope you didn't laugh in their face, though. Did you hang up the phone and then laugh? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have. It was my manager. They contacted my manager, and, and, and my manager started laughing, and I think they got really offended. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think they're pretty pissed off at me. <laughs> right, okay. Did you get wind of... I mean, you know, hey, look, they're, the only reason they're pissed off is because I turned them down. I mean, I don't have anything personal against those guys. I don't, I don't know them from, from fucking white bread. I don't know, I don't know them at all. Um, but they're upset that I did some interview. You know, I think I mentioned offhandedly, I was talking to an Australian journalist, and they said, any, any funny stories lately or something? Yeah, I got asked to join NXS. That's pretty funny. Uh, I think it's funny. Uh, um, and, but, you know, I wasn't lying. Hey, it's true. They asked me. But um, um, I think it's interesting that uh, they didn't want me to talk about it because I turned them down. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, uh, egos. <laughs> well, al also, I guess, I mean, you know, not to have a dig at them, but they just mustn't have really have done their research very well to know where your head is at in terms of making music because it's just completely illogical, really, isn't it? They're obviously very desperate, and uh, otherwise they never would have called me. And, uh, you know, I think they're fishing in the wrong pond. That's that's all. I got a real laugh out of it. It's one of the, one of the weirder... Weirder offers I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> How do you think you would have gone? 
oh god get out of here <laughs> i didn't give it a moment's a moment's consideration okay all right i thought i thought well, i well, thought yeah. maybe come on when you hung up the phone maybe a few pictures came into your head of you being on stage playing some of those songs no it, it all no 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 it all involved uh it, it, uh, showing up for rehearsal with with uh with uh with something around my neck but i'll just leave it at that <laughs> all right yes please it's a very cruel joke yeah it is a cruel it's joke all i thought of okay we better we better move on to another subject another hanging the sad story of ian curtis who took his life at the age of just 23 after his wife had demanded he stop an affair he was having he also attempted suicide on the 6th of april 1980 ultimately took his own life in his kitchen on the 5th of may 1980 who knows what, what really happened. He was on his own that night. He'd seen Debbie, and they'd had an argument, and then he spent most of the night on his own, and who knows what went through his head. Whatever happened between Debbie and Ian on that last night was, um, I'd, I'd say, was quite obviously what finished him off. You know, he felt he couldn't cope with it anymore, and that, 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 that was it. You know, None of us were there. He didn't phone anybody up. We had been warned twice. We'd been warned by the fact he took an overdose of fucking tablets. And our response was, like the line from Closer, it's a cry for help, a plea for anaesthesia. Wrong. Secondly, I'd been warned on a train to London two weeks earlier by Anique. I said, what do you think of the new album? She goes, I'm terrified. I said, what are you terrified of? Don't you understand? He means it. And I go, no, he doesn't mean it. It's, it's art. And guess what? He fucking meant it. Love will tear us apart. Joy Division. guy had another weird ending and sort of falls under accidents but I'll pop it in murder-suicides just because it's a little bit unclear. Jimi Hendrix, who we will get to later, claimed that this guy was his favourite guitarist, Terry Keith from the band Chicago. On Monday the 23rd of January 1978, Keith was deep into his booze and drug addiction and was carrying guns with him most places he went. At a party that night, he played Russian roulette with an empty 38 revolver he then picked up a 9mm pistol and leaning back in his chair, he said to his roadie, Don Johnson, who was urging him to be careful, look, the clip is not even in it. And then his last words, what do you think I'm going to do, blow my brains out? He then showed Johnson the empty magazine, but there was a single bullet in the chamber. 
He was a few days shy of his 32nd birthday. Thanks to Brett Wood for haunting me with that tragic story. Golden. Segment 2. Accidents and Disease. Hey guys, this doesn't get any more sunny, but I guess as Elvis Costello says, and Skid Row agree, still very sad, but I guess it's not as hard to fathom as someone choosing to end someone's life or a human choosing to end their own life for me. So in segment two, I'm also going to break it up into two categories, air travel and not air travel. Here, drummer Artemis Pyle explains the tragic day which took six lives, including two band members of Leonard Skinner, on a plane. Everything was great. We were on top of the world. We had an airplane with our name on it. But that airplane carrying Leonard Skinner from South Carolina to Louisiana never made it to its destination. Then we ran out of fuel over Mississippi and spiraled in. The plane crashed, killing six, including members of the band. Ronnie was killed. Steve Gaines was killed. Cassie Gaines. She sat directly in front of me. But Artemis survived and amidst the chaos was able to run to a nearby farmhouse to seek help. That's when he found a man. He was just protecting his family. That's all. He had a gun and told Artemis, who was covered in blood, to stop. I was stumbling and I moved forward and he fired and caught me in the shoulder. And um, it spun me around. I, I yelled plane crash with what I thought was my last breath. Thursday, October 20th, a twin engine Convair 240 with the name Leonard Skinner painted on the side is 580 miles out of Greenville, South Carolina, bound for Baton Rouge. 24 passengers aboard are heading for a concert date Friday night. They're relaxing. Some are playing poker. It is shortly before 6 o'clock Central Daylight Time. The pilot, Walter McCreary of Dallas, Texas, radios Houston Air Traffic Control. He's low on fuel and can't make Baton Rouge 80 miles away. Instead, he'll try for a small airport at nearby Macomb. And here's keys player Billy Powell. We found out 10 minutes from the Baton Rouge airport that we ran out of gas. And uh, I just heard the pilot go, oh, my God. Pilot McCreary turns his plane to the left and starts back toward Macomb. His altimeter reads 2,000 feet. The time is just past 6 o'clock. One of the engines on the conveyor quits, probably starved for fuel. By now, pilot McCreary is desperately looking for a spot for an emergency landing. He follows a pipeline route. For reasons unknown, McCreary changes his mind and heads for a better spot, a pasture off to his left. The Convair 240 is in a glide, a hundred yards short of the pasture. The wings are clipping treetops. The plane stalls and goes down. All I saw was treetops. I looked out my window. I was in the middle of the airplane on the right wing. I tried to get close to the back of the airplane as possible. But I got in the middle of the airplane on the right wing, and um, all I saw was treetops. And at, at first it wasn't so bad, but then when it hit the, you know, the middle of the trees, it was horrible. You know, it was, it's an experience nobody wants to ever experience. Never. Here's Leonard Skinner's classic Sweet Home Alabama, a song I probably should have put in episode three, Count Ins.
absolute heroes was taken in a helicopter accident in 1990 at the age of just 35. Not much to say here, just bad weather, low flying. Here's Double Trouble drummer Whipper Layton talking to my buddy Dean Del Rey on his podcast, Let There Be Talk, about that night. And so one of their guys decided he was going to stay back um, and take care of some work. He needed to do some work. And so they thought, well, Stevie, we should offer it to him, you know, leader of the band and all that. Go. And he took him up on the offer and got on the, on the helicopter and it took off and flew into the side of the mountain, wow. you know, which was totally like a, a, a weird thing because the pilot had a pretty had impeccable flight record and right. knew better than to try to fly out of a soup bowl valley that was full of fog instead of just going up until he could see and then take off right it was just like I, fuck, I don't, that's one of those those forever head scratchers yeah. other than that's just what was supposed to happen so, but we were there so we were right. i mean we were there backstage um stevie and i sat around and talked for about 40 minutes and we we covered a range of topics that to me was actually kind of strange to have that kind of conversation there, there and then. Right. And um, Like what he, were you guys talking about? Well, my son was getting ready, as it turned out to be a son, was getting ready to be born in three months. And we were talking about all the things that had gone on, you know, since we met. But you don't sit around and talk. Right. Yeah, you know, I was like, we were talking about that. We were talking about, he told me, he said, he goes, he goes, I don't know how you feel about this? He goes, but I came upon some whole lot of different ideas about our next record. He, he and Jimmy had just finished their record and they were going to go do a few shows without any of us. Right. They were going to do a whole unique thing to kind of kick that record off. And he talked about how he was glad he wanted to do it mostly his whole life. And he thought it was good for him and Jimmy, but he thought he, this was in the context of saying, but I got a bunch of ideas for our next thing. He said, I don't know how you feel about the idea of some strings or horns. And I went, yeah, man, I, you know, I'm here. Yeah. I go, you know, look, bring it on. He said, yeah, well, I got a bunch of wild shit. Hopefully, you, hopefully everybody digs it. Yeah. He said, and then he's in, that was kind of towards the end of the conversation. He said, and he said, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in a minute. And then he came back up with his bags. I said, where are you going? He said, well, they offered me a flight on the helicopter. I said, well, but you got everybody's here, your brother and sister-in-law, management agents, you know, even our even our accounting group. Some of them had flown from L.A. and friends from Austin. I said, everybody's here. He said, no, I gotta. He goes, I I gotta go. Oh man. He said, I want to go call my girlfriend. I said, well, they got phones all over, bag phones. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Like, they got then. phones everywhere. They installed phones everywhere for the show. Yeah. I said, use the phone here. He goes, no. He goes, I gotta go. And he and five minutes later he was gone wow. mile from the outdoor music theater where musician stevie ray vaughn one of the world's top blues guitarists opened for eric clapton for a second night sunday authorities believe the bell jet ranger helicopter slammed into the hillside at full speed as officials combed through the crash site rock and roll style security men kept reporters at bay theater management issued only a brief statement the time of the crash hasn't been pinpointed yet. A satellite picked up a distress signal from the aircraft shortly before 2 a.m. But officials believe at that point, the chopper was already down. 35-year-old Stevie Ray Vaughan came out of the Texas boogie blues scene, a rowdy, raucous style that led some to dub him a white Jimi Hendrix. His latest album, In Step, was released last year. The way I look at it is if, uh, if 
the next show we do is the last one I ever get to do. It sure would be a shame if I didn't really try and give it all my best. Stevie Ray Vaughan was 35. Everywhere are today mourning the loss of guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan. The Grammy Award winner died in a helicopter accident yesterday. A total of five people died in the accident, among the members of rock star Eric Clapton's band. In circumstances eerily similar to those surrounding Buddy Holly's death 30 years ago, Vaughan had taken the last seat in the helicopter as he was in a hurry to get to Chicago. He'd given up drugs recently and was playing the best music of his career. Here's the last song of Stevie Ray Vaughan's final album released while he was alive. Off the album In Step, here's Riviera Paradise, with some of the most beautiful, fast guitar playing I've ever heard. Magic. Stevie was obviously a great guitar player, but also a great singer with great songs. I think that's why he grabbed me back in the day. Have a listen to how good his voice is on this song off Instep as well, Crossfire. this next guy's death in episode 8 and 9 and how Waylon Jennings gave up his seat to the Big Bopper, also under 40, at the last minute. Here's his great song, Every Day, to lighten up the air for a minute. Buddy Holly, Every Day. Every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. Getting faster, everyone said, Go ahead and ask her. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, 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 every day seems a little longer. Every way, love's a little stronger. Come what may, do you ever long for true love from me? This next story is about another plane crash which took place in Louisiana when this singer was just 30 years old. Frustratingly, the plane crash was found to be pilot error 
And here's this guy's song that went to number one in the US a few months after his death. And the song deals with mortality and the wish to have more time. Shout out to Noel for the suggestion. Cheers. Time in a Bottle, Jim Croce. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you If I could make days last forever If words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do once you find them I've looked around enough to know You're the one I want to go through time with If I had a box just for wishes This next one really is a sad story as the guy didn't like planes and he had to have his arm twisted to take a joy flight on a day off and of course the plane crashed and took his life at just 25. Here's Ozzy Osbourne talking about the first time he met Randy Rhodes. You've always been like a miner for finding amazing talent as far as guitarists go. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Randy Rhodes. You know, you guys met through an audition essentially no, I, I was working, I had a guy helping me out called Dana Strummy. He was my original choice for a bass player, but it didn't work out. He says, I know I, I listen to it, I was drinking heavily. I was just, you know, I was just fucking out of it all the time. And Dana comes in and he goes, I got some, this one guitar player, you've got us. I says, you know, Dana, fuck off with the guitar player. And I just want to go home. I'm fucking sozzled sitting on a chair, eating a pizza or something, I don't remember. And this little guy comes in with blonde hair, and I thought, I thought is that a chick? He spoke to me. Wow. Suddenly my ears pinned back. He says, Well, what do you want me to play? I says, Play anything. So he starts playing, and I'm like, Even in my junk, drunken, stoned out stupor, I go, Oh, this is fucking one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. All these, drug, these drugs are really good. <laughs> I truly believe if he hadn't got killed when he did, he would be up there with the fucking big guys. Mm. He was fucking phenomenal. This next guy I love, and I knew he had passed away, but I had no idea it was in a plane crash until I started looking down the rabbit hole. And I was more shocked to learn that he was just 26 when he died. The plane he was on in 1967 crashed just three days after he recorded this next song, which was his only US number one. Otis Redding, Dock of the Bay. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll 
away Ooh, I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same I can't do what ten people tell me to do After all that, thank God we can't fly during lockdown. We can drive and ride, though. I am internally obligated to put a Beatles song in each episode, so now that box is ticked. The next five guys all died in automobile accidents. Three cars, one bus, one motorcycle. next guy is another rock and roll hall of famer who died at the age of 29 in a car crash he was a passenger in a car driven by american singer gloria jones when she struck a pole and hit a tree and the t-rex singer was killed instantly mark boland and t-rex children of the revolution Eddie Cochran was just 21 years old when he died in a car accident on April 17th, 1960. Eddie was on tour in England with fellow Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Gene Vincent when their taxi crashed in Bath in the UK and Eddie was killed. Gene Vincent, also known as the Screaming End, passed away 11 years later at the age of 36 from a ruptured stomach ulcer. Eddie Cochran, Summertime Blues. I'm a gonna raise a horror About a working old summer Just to try to hurt a horror Every time I call my baby Try to get a date My boss says No dice, son, you gotta work late Sometimes I wonder But I'm a gonna do But there ain't no cure for the summertime And finally, this note of sadness. Singer-songwriter Harry Chapin was killed today in a car accident on Long Island Expressway. Chapin was in a Volkswagen Rabbit and was hit by a flatbed tractor-trailer truck. The car caught fire. Chapin was pronounced dead at the scene. And that's the news for tonight, July 16, 1981. I'm Dick Minton. Good night. Our tragic bus victim is, of course, Metallica bass player Cliff Burton, who died in a tour bus accident at the age of just 24. Here's the band describing that horrible day in 1986. On that European tour, you know, we had a really bad bus. These particular buses weren't purpose-built that we have now. They have normal windows like a passenger coach, and the bunks are just bolted in. Then they put cardboard over the windows. Earlier that night, a friendly dispute between Kirk and Cliff over sleeping arrangements concluded with a draw of cards. 
The first card that Cliff picked was the Ace of Spades, and he looked at me and said, I want your bunk. And I said, fine, you take my bunk, I'll sleep up front. That's probably better anyway, you know. <laughs> Later on that night, at about five or six in the morning, I heard a skidding, I heard a vibration, and then this, this motion. I thought we were going off a cliff. It's the sound of screeching brakes and uh, being flipped around like a piece of clothes in a dryer. Just got woke up, like hot coffee getting poured all over me, you know, from the, the coffee machine. And, you know, the bus was on its side. What happened? Is the bus going to blow up? Well, I jumped out of the bus, took off, did the 100-yard dash in about seven seconds flat. And we're standing out there in our underwear and, you know, 10 below. And I heard everyone screaming except for Cliff. And I thought, oh my God, something's wrong. Seeing the bus driver just, you know, freaking frantic. And I turned around and I saw Cliff's leg sticking out from underneath the bus. I went to, you know, pull him out, wake him up or whatever. It's like, you know, he's not moving. And the driver walked over and started pulling on the on the blanket that was under the, underneath the bus next to Cliff, and I said, "What are you doing?" I grabbed him. Don't you take that away from him. There's still people trapped under the bus, but everyone else is okay. It, it, you know, I was in such shock that everything else for the next three or four hours, I cannot, I can't even remember. Kirk and James yelling at the driver. What did you do? What did you do? What happened? You know, what's going on? You know, is this guy drunk? Or la la la? Oh, we hit some black ice. And I recall in my underwear, you know, and socks, walking for miles, looking for this black ice, walking back on. Where's this black ice? I don't see any black ice. And I wanted to kill this guy. I was gonna, I was gonna end him there. Here's Cliff smashing Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls.
The last death in our automobile dark rabbit hole brings us to Dwayne Allman, who died in 1971, aged just 24, a few months after his band The Allman Brothers successful at Fillmore East record was released. A truck in front of him stopped suddenly and he ran up the truck's ass and crashed and his bike landed on top of him and dragged him approximately 90 feet down the road. He was still alive when he was rushed to hospital, but died a few hours later. Whipping Post, the Allman Brothers Band. Special mention goes out to the lucky Rick Allen from Def Leppard, who had a horrific car crash in 1984 in which he lost his arm. There's some very rock and rollness with this crash, a Corvette, and a shocked Rick Allen asking the lady who was first on the scene, do you know who I am? After the accident, Rick learned to play drums with one arm and some foot pedals and pads, etc. And Def Leppard's next album, Hysteria, was one of the biggest albums of all time, selling 25 million copies. Here's the band talking about the crash. It was New Year's Eve. The last thing that you want is bad news, you know. Our manager rang me and told me. Um, it was mid-afternoon and it was, you know, it was like the worst moment of my life, basically. It was a, a very difficult thing to come to terms with. When I finally came round after my accident, I was sort of saying to her, it's okay, you know. Things will be fine, don't worry about it, you know. And my parents, I mean, they, they, they took it worse than anybody. And obviously, you know, the, the band, they were, I mean, they just, they, they didn't know what they were going to do. You know, they, they didn't know whether I'd, I'd, I would be able to play again, you know, all, the, all those kinds of things. There was never any question about us, the four of us, sitting down and saying, right, well, we better, gonna, we better find a new drummer. Who we're going to audition never, it never even came up. Because the, 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 the last thing on his mind was the record at that moment. You know, we were more interested in... Uh, and just how the guy was, and you know, and just really happy that the guy was at least alive. Yeah. I mean, that was a bonus because he was like, he did, he was very close to death at one stage. The weirdest thing was when me and Steve went to visit him in hospital. He was, uh, he was all bandaged up still, you know, on medication. And we walked in, and he went, "Hi," as though nothing had happened. And we went, "We're going, oh, he's delirious. The boy's sick, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know." And he'd been practicing on the edge of the bed with a pillow, he said, well, I've lost my left arm, so I'm going to use my left foot and left leg, you know, which really seems logical. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. His name is Rick Allen. We call him the Thunder Gun. 
We were just blown away by his determination straight up. You know, he, he got out of hospital like six weeks and they said he'd be in there for six months. He uh, was just really very strong. And uh, that was, it was good for all of us as well. You know, it made us have a lot more determination, a lot, lot, lot more faith, you know, and just everything. When you're on stage, you don't marvel at his drumming. Because mm. you, 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 you're oblivious to the fact that he's got one on. The fact that he's there behind you and as solid as a rock as ever, you know. That is like the biggest compliment that he's taken for granted. He's just a normal human being. It's just a drummer. Rick is still playing with Def Leppard at age 57. His arm passed away at just 21. It's weird when a story about a human losing an arm is a break in the weather. Anyway, back to it. Enough with the automobile accidents. Let's head to the water for two drownings. Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson died at age 39. And by 1983, Dennis was homeless after years of drug problems. On Christmas Day in 1983, he got into a fight and was checked into hospital to treat his wounds. Three days later, he drowned after a day of drinking and diving into Marina del Rey in LA to retrieve his ex-wife's belongings that he had thrown overboard from his boat three years earlier. The Beach Boys, Surfing USA. Rockin' in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA, deep in the heart of Texas and round the Frisco Bay, all over St. Louis and down in New Orleans, all the cats wanna dance with sweet little 16, sweet little 16, she just got to have about a half a million a famed autographs her wallet filled with pictures she gets them one by one becomes so excited as you can hear surfing usa is basically a rip-off of chuck berry's 1958 hit sweet little 16. the beach boys did do it as a tribute to berry but didn't get his permission first maybe because berry was in jail for transporting a minor across state lines that's a topic for another episode. When Chuck Berry threatened to sue, the Beach Boys agreed to give him most of the royalties and list him as the song's composer. The song also helped build Berry's legend while he served his time. Here's Chris Cheney from The Living End, still very much alive, despite an horrific car accident on the Great Ocean Road in 2001 that busted up his leg badly. An oncoming car moved into the wrong lane and hit Chris's car at 100 kilometres per hour, ripping the side off his car and sending it down the embankment. Luckily stopped by a tree. Anyone who has driven that road knows how treacherous it can be. Anyway, here's that lucky fucker talking about a guy who died at the age of 30. Johnny Burnett Trio, which uh, are one of those 
bands from the 50s and they were very uh, entrenched in the kind of raw rockabilly thing you know this is when you have basically a couple of guys standing in a room with probably one microphone like Sun Records and just laying it down but yeah the Johnny Burnett trio are responsible for some of the most sort of raucous um, influential kind of very influential I guess in, in the punk rock kind of rock and roll um, for a lot of rock and roll bands um, Cause yeah, it's just really, really raw and really powerful, and um, yeah, he unfortunately died in a in a boating accident, I believe, Johnny Burnett. But but they didn't make that many records, but the ones that they did make are all amazing, and I think Zeppelin were very influenced by them. That was the kind of stuff they were listening to as teenagers. It's probably fifty six, fifty seven, I think. You know, and they didn't really have any sort of bigger commercial hits but they um they were a bit a bit too kind of raucous i think this is one of the bands that you know if you in the rockabilly kind of scene you know the these guys are kind of gods just 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 the licks and stuff that they kind of play is is just that perfect hybrid of of country and blues and rock and roll and hillbilly and it's just kind of you know it's probably probably one or two takes they did and, and that was it you know i mean it's hard to imagine a time when it wasn't old music isn't it you know i mean there was once yeah, upon yeah, a time right. this was this was the this was the latest release and I, I think i think the thing for me that always why i always sort of hark back to it and 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 why it will always be the foundation of everything that that sort of came after is is just the 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 heartbeat of it is the emotion is um it's just so real and it's yeah it's i mean everything's been built built on that obviously obviously extending sort of the, the blues before that but i think um yeah that's why it's timeless it just doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to age you know it's just it's beyond a fad or a or a trend because mm. it's it's just so it's so real rock and roll is a river of music which has absorbed many streams rhythm and blues jazz ragtime cowboy songs country songs folk songs all have contributed greatly to the big beat and here's a young man who's come out of the country field to join us rock and rollers. Johnny Burnett singing Lonesome Train. Second of the Drownings was a big one for me. The irony wasn't lost on anyone that a man who lived for his music would be found dead at the foot of Beale Street where he'd performed before. 30-year-old Jeff Buckley disappeared last week after a friend saw him jump into the Mississippi fully clothed.
Despite several searches by police, it was a tourist on the American Queen, ready to set sail on a cruise for St. Louis, who finally spotted Buckley's body. At the New Daisy, where Buckley once played, friends can't believe such a music talent is gone. Jeff Buckley, lover you should have come over. Broken down and hungry for your love With no way to feed it When are you alive, child? You know how much you need it Too young to hold on and too old to just break free and run It's never over My kingdom for a kiss upon my shoulder It's never over All my riches for her smiles When I step so soft against her Jeff Buckley's dad, Tim Buckley, also died early at the age of 28 from a heroin overdose in 1975. Jeff only met his dad once, and Tim passed away when Jeff was nine years old. We heard Jimmy Page praising Jeff Buckley in episode eight and nine, and here's Robert Plant. We talk about your influences, and we've been talking a lot about names from the past that inspired you. Are you aware of the influence that you've had? That the people who cite you, uh, uh, people talk about Jeff Buckley or Freddie Mercury, are you, are you creating a vocal sound in rock music? Are, are you aware of that? Do you acknowledge that? Do you recognize that? Well, I know that both you mentioned two spectacular vocalists there. I mean, both of whom <clears throat> had much better chops than me. I mean, real great, great singers. I just, I just get into songs and live them out, which is a different thing, you know. Uh, I was playing with Jimmy in the mid-90s when we had a working with an Egyptian ensemble yeah. and we played in a festival in Switzerland and Jeff Buckley was playing and we went to see him and it was mind-altering, his voice. Spectacular yeah. singing and so much conviction. Yeah. Our next legend was diagnosed with a type of melanoma under his toenail in 1977, which was the first symptom of an already existing cancer in his body, not from a soccer injury, as is the popular belief. He refused his doctor's request to amputate the toe, and in 1980, he collapsed while running in New York's Central Park and was taken to hospital where doctors found that the cancer had spread to his brain, lungs and liver. He died at 36. Singer Bob Marley, his reggae music known far beyond its roots in Jamaica, died in a Miami hospital today after a long battle against cancer. Bob Marley was 36 years old. Bob Marley, Redemption Song. Old pirates, yes they rock. 
by Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs The next artist was a hugely influential American country musician in the early 20th century. I wasn't sure what category to put his death in, so I'll just pop it in here. Here's the news announcement from January 1st, 1953. Friends and neighbours, today, the world of folk music lost one of its greatest performers, one of its greatest writers. At 1.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the teletype machine in our newsroom here at WCKY began typing out a dispatch from Oak Hill, West Virginia. It said hillbilly singer and composer Hank Williams died early today, apparently of a heart attack while being driven to a radio singing date at Canton, Ohio. His driver, Charles Carr, said he discovered that Williams was dead in the rear seat of their car a few miles outside of Oak Hill, West Virginia. Carr said he thought his employer was asleep and he'd gone back to make sure that he was warm enough. The two men had left Knoxville, Tennessee last night. The driver said Williams, who was in his late 20s, had not been feeling well and had seen a Knoxville doctor who had given the singing star a sedative. The exact cause of Williams' death will be determined at a post-mortem to be conducted by the Oak Hill Justice of the Peace. Some of the audio is a bit less than great quality, but if that annoys you, please send me an email at take a look at yourself, you flog. The audio is nearly 70 years old, underscore, we're lucky to have it.com forward slash poop, and I'll get back to you ASAP. But seriously, do take a look at yourself. Hank Williams, I'm so lonely I could cry. That lonesome whippoorwill He sounds too blue to fly The midnight train is whining low I'm so lonesome I could cry Thanks again for listening, and that's the end of part one of my rabbit hole dig on Dead by 40. Thanks again to Rob Dean at Daniel Sun Studios for the podcast music, and for Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for tech and web help. 
And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me what I did wrong, could do better or got wrong in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can send me an email at I won't be receiving your correspondence at gofuckyourself.nobjockey at geocities.com forward slash goblin and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have anything for me, you can hit me on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or click the abuse tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. The website also has all the past episodes and the Spotify playlist of all the songs used in each individual episode. I still have some sticker and guitar pick packs, so you can hit me up on Instagram for those too. And please share, rate and review the podcast if you can and stay safe this week and we'll continue the carnage next week in part two of Dead by 40. Thanks again, guys. See ya.